Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are discussing the 10th Perek of Shmuel Bet, which is really action-packed. We learn that our old friend Nachash, the king of Ammon, has died, and his son Hanun has taken the throne. Now, we don't have such fond memories of Nachash because he's the one who threatened the people of Yavesh Gilad uh, some years back. He said that he'd only make a peace treaty with them if they agreed to gouge out their eyes. And that's when Shaul rises to power. And this is where we do have a fond memory. This is Shaul's kind of heyday. This is a great moment for Shaul. He rallies the nation to go and fight on behalf of Yavesh Gilad and thoroughly defeats Nachash. Uh, the point is, what we know about Nachash is, is quite bad. However, David says in the beginning of this parak, quite surprisingly, that he wants to act kindly with Nachash's son because of some unspecified kindness that Nachash had done for David. On a pshat level, we're left only to guess what that is, and we might fill it in by saying something related to David's wandering years when he's fleeing from Shaul in the same way that he turns to the plishtim, in the same way that he turns to Moab. Maybe he likewise relied on Ammon, and Nachash somehow acted kindly in that context. And indeed, the Medrash pursues that exact direction. It explains that David brought his family initially to Moab, People of Moab, the king of Moab, betrayed David and killed his family, save for one member who escaped to Ammon, and there he found protection and refuge uh, under the the shelter of Nachash. That's, of course, nowhere in the Pshat, but the Medrash is trying to tie together a number of things, right? Last parakweet, or a few prakim ago, we tried to explain why uh, David was particularly harsh with Moab, and now we have to explain why he's particularly kind to Ammon. So maybe the, this one story of the cruelty of Moab and then the, the savior on the hand, by the hands of Ammon, uh, maybe that's one way to kind of tie up all these loose ends. But as I said, on a shot level, we have no clear answer to this question, which, which suggests, by the way, that literally it doesn't really make that big of a difference. It's not so important. The text is telling us that much by by hiding this. The point is, David wants to act kindly for some unspecified kindness that Nachash did to him. So what does David do? He sends a delegation to Ammon, to the new king, Hanun, to pay respects and to send condolences. However, Hanun's advisors are uh, deeply suspect of this delegation. And they, they say, you think Bnei Israel is really going to send uh, you know, uh, uh, pe- people to come and comfort you? These are spies. They're spies coming to the land. And in response, perhaps demonstrating a little bit of tentativeness, Hanun doesn't simply kill these men. Instead, he cuts off half their beards and half their clothing. In short, he humiliates them. It's interesting to contrast this, by the way, to the, the episode some prakim ago between Yoav, who, was, who is David's uh, advisor and his general, and Avner, who was Shaul's advisor, um, when Avner and general, when Avner uh, came to join David's camp, so Yoav falsely suspects that he is a spy. But he doesn't just then embarrass Avner, he kills him. So Hanun deals more kindly with David's men than Yoav did to Shaul's man, Avner. In any event, David is, of course, deeply upset by this response, and the people of Ammon are made to know this, and, and they suspect that war is, uh, is impending, and they prepare for that war. They do so by subcontracting, or by contracting, I'll say, um, a, a, a fighting force from Aram. So now there's this kind of alliance between Ammon and Aram. 
a big army being raised to fight David. David mobilizes his own soldiers in response, led by uh, General Yoav. Yoav sees that there's going to be a two-front battle here, and so he puts uh, his brother, Avishai, in charge of one unit, one division of the men, while, uh, and, and, he, and he tasks them to fight the, the front against Ammon, while Yoav and his fighting force um, fight the superior warriors of Aram. He sends Avishai off with, with great words of courage and faith in Hashem, and they are ultimately successful on both fronts, driving both of the other armies away. After their defeat, Aram regroups and readies to fight once more, and this time David leads the charge against them and serves them an even greater defeat uh, at the uh, serves an even greater defeat to Aram. So and that's that's basically the end of the Perak. Now, if you just read this Perak, we would say that it's yet another victorious, positive Perak for David, with two successful battles, once one against Ammon and Aram, one against just Aram. However, this parak, just like last parak, will become more complex as the narrative develops into darker territory, which will cause us to look back at this parak with more suspicious eyes. Why? Because next parak, we're going to learn about a story that happens during the course of the broader narrative, the broader story told in this parak, right? So this parak gives us a kind of 30,000 foot view of, uh, of several battles, but these battles don't happen in, in a day. They, they happen over a period of time. And, uh, and, and in the course of the first battle led by uh, Yoav and Avishai, uh, we're going to learn about uh, David committing the most egregious sin of his life. And that is with Bathsheba, the particulars of which we will discuss tomorrow and in the coming days. But because this, this story... Uh, the story of David and Bathsheba happens in the context of the battle that is discussed in this Perek. So we have reason to now look back at our Perek uh, with, with a little bit more care to look for something that might be brewing beneath the surface, something problematic that might have some explanatory power for the major error that will follow. And there are basically two directions we could go here. One would be to go to the source of the battle. What's the reason that this whole battle takes place? It's because... David is engaged in this diplomacy with Ammon. Even though Nachash was kind to him, maybe there was something wrong, fundamentally wrong, with David doing this. The Medrash tells us uh, just, just that, right? It's, it points to the fact that in, in uh, Sefer Devarim, it says that we can't accept converts from Moab and from Ammon because of some wrongdoing that they, that they, uh, that they did towards B'nai Israel. And it says you shouldn't even send them good tidings. Lo sidrosh shlomam v'tovasam. Right? You should not uh, send them greetings and, and good tidings. And here David is doing just that, which starts the battle that ultimately creates the context during which, etc., etc., during which he will sin. So that's one direction, and there's some work that we would need to do to try to think about how, how to match this up, the severity of the sin, you know, what was so misguided about this kind of statecraft, what, it seems like a, albeit something that is in the Torah, so it seems perhaps this is a, a violation of some uh, Isser de Oresa, but it seems like it's at least coming from a, a good place. I'm not sure how to match this up with the much more pernicious sin that is going to happen in the next parak. So, but there, there's something there. It's a start. It's something to work on. That's one direction. And we could also note that in this parak, there are two battles that are contrasted with each other. First, there's the battle led by Yoav and Avishai, where David is not present. And then there's a second battle where David is present, and there David has an even more successful campaign against the enemy. 
We might ask, why didn't David lead the first one as well? When you're reading the parak, you're not asking that. But again, once we look back, we have to think, well, what, what, what went wrong here? Perhaps the mistake is that uh, David outsourced this fighting of the first battle to Yoav instead of leading it himself. And indeed, when we are introduced to the next parak, we're going to learn it's going to kind of draw our attention to this passivity, the fact that David is idling in Yerushalayim instead of being at the battlefront. And because he is in Yerushalayim, that's why, why he gets ensnared in, in, the, in the sin that is to follow. Ensnared is to say that he uh, is, is passive here and, and not liable. I, I think he, he is, we will see that he is liable. Um, but my, my point is that it's precisely because he is not at the battlefront where you could say he ought to be, that he gets himself into this trouble in the first place. To summarize, if we look at our parak, it looks like a very successful and positive one. Taken by itself, it is just that. But taken in context, we see that this parak is setting the stage for a real low point in David's life, which causes us to then look back at our parak more critically, seeing either David's engagement with Amun as being the basic sin that leads to the, the further sinning in the prakim ahead, or perhaps David's passivity in this first battle against Amon and Aram uh, as being the kind of, you know, laying the groundwork for the much bigger failure that lies ahead. I leave it to you to consider. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.